The message that you're about to hear is entitled The Life Story of Evangelist Carl Hatch by Dr. Carl Hatch and was recorded on Sunday morning, October 26, 1975 at Forest Hills Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia. And now, Dr. Carl Hatch. I've been announcing that I would share my life story this morning. I never shared my life story as pastoring or associate. In fact, I've been as I hesitated for years about giving my life story. And through the encouragement of Dr. John Rollins and many other great men across America, Dr. Tom Malone, said, Brother Hatch, you should give your life story. Not only would it encourage mothers and fathers to pray, but many people would come to know Christ as their Savior. So through the encouragement of these men, when I entered into evangelistic work, I began giving my life story. I mean, this morning, you may not have lived the life that I lived. Maybe you've never been in and out of hospitals and jailhouses and in the federal pen. Maybe you've never been an alcoholic, as a society calls it, a drunkard, God calls it. Maybe you've never been a drunkard or a dope addict, but it takes as much grace to save the good person as it does the bad. Amen. Don't make any difference who you are. So I began giving my life story and then put it on a long play album. We now have recorded over 2,000 people that have been saved just by listening to the album. And then we've had many outstanding conversions through listening to my life story, one of the ten most wanted men in America, now doing a life sentence in Jackson, Michigan. There's been many congressmen, senators, and many other types of people that's been converted through listening to my life story. So this morning I give God the honor and the glory for what I am. I'm what I am by the grace of God. And I'd like for all you uh, children up in the balcony and down here, you see, why are you taking the time to say what you're saying? Because I don't want anyone to misunderstand what they're going to hear this morning. And I want all you kids that are listening this morning, I want you to say, I don't want to be like Brother Hatch was. I want to be like he is. I'm not ashamed of my life today, and even though all my past is under the blood, never to be remembered against me anymore, and yet it makes you tremble when you tell it. You may be here this morning and have your children here. I would appreciate it if you'd, when you get home, if you'd promise me that you'd set them down and tell them, explain to them. You don't want to be like that man was. You want to be like he is. And I would really appreciate that this morning if you would do it. I want you to stay with me this morning and keep order as much as you can. Now it takes 55 minutes to do this, and please don't look at your watch. That really, if anything irritates me, is people watching their watch. So I would appreciate that if you wouldn't do it. I hate to get up here and rush it and run through it. I really do. So please endure me this morning. Will you do that? I'd like to read my life story out of the Bible. Have your Bible turn to Psalms 142. Then, if you would, turn over to Psalms 40. Psalms 142 and Psalms 40. Reading in verse 4 of Psalms 142 I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Then I want you to turn to Psalms 40. I'm glad to say this morning that the Lord cares. Every church may turn their back on you, every preacher and every lay person. But I'm glad this morning to know that Jesus cares. Amen. Oh, yes, he cares. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock, and that rock is Christ Jesus, and established my goings 
And he had put a new song in my mouth, but that song is amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a rich like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. I believe the Lord began speaking to me at, at an early age, at the age of 13. My brother was running a pool hall in a small town in Arkansas, and he asked if I would rack the balls and clean up the place, and I told him that I would. I began immediately getting in the wrong environment, seeing and hearing the wrong things. While I was there working in the pool hall, there was a man that was taking coke and alcohol and mixing it together and giving it to me. And every day he would gradually take part of the coke out. This went on for quite a few months until I was drinking alcohol straight at the age of 13. Many months later, I was there in the pool hall in the wee hour of the morning, and they had a gambling joint in the back where they had a dice table and card tables and things. And my brother said, son, go check the stove. It's about three or four o'clock in the morning. They was gambling back there. I went over and checked the stove, a big old pot belly coal stove. And I went over and threw some coal in there and some fuel oil on top, and there was no blaze. I closed the door, not realizing what I was doing. A little while later, he said, Son, you need to go back and check the fire. And I went back over, and pressure had built up in that stove. And when I opened the door, it blew up in my face and caught my clothes on fire. And immediately, my body was on fire, and by the time they could get me put out, my body was burnt. From my waist over my head, the hair was burnt off of my head. We lived 18 miles from a doctor or a hospital, and they took me home and laid me on the couch. I remember as though it was yesterday, my brother stood at the foot of the couch, and I heard him crying. And he said, if Carl goes blind, it'll be because of me. But my dear old mother knelt down at the head of that couch, and I heard her praying and weeping. God, if it be thy will, let my boy see again. And I don't believe in man healing this morning, but I believe in divine healing if it be God's will. And I believe that God is the only thing that brought me out to where I could stand and see this morning. After a few weeks in the hospital, I got out. I came back all bandaged up. I went right back in the environment of the pool hall, hearing and seeing the wrong things. This went on until I'd reached the age of 15. By this time, I was considered an alcoholic at 15 years of age. I didn't know what alcoholic meant. I just know now that that would be what I would have been termed as then as an alcoholic. At 15 years of age, I couldn't do without it. I had to have it. I was interviewed in Columbus, Ohio on the ABC and NBC News for one week, 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock news, just two or three minutes each night. The man asked me, he said, what is the greatest trophy in your ministry? This was two or three years ago. I said, the greatest trophy in my ministry is not winning millionaires. And I've won many and some five today that are serving the Lord. I've won many so-called celebrities and mayors and congressmen and senators and people like this. But these are not the greatest trophies in my ministry. The greatest trophy this morning in my ministry in St. Louis, Missouri, just a few years back, on Thursday night, I was giving my life story, and I never mentioned the man's name that gave me the alcohol. I don't mention it on the record. I never mentioned it in person. I thought the man was dead and in hell, and I looked out in the congregation, and I saw he and his wife. And while I was giving my life story, he sat there, and the tears run down his cheeks. And I started the invitation. I said, God, if you've ever done me a favor, save that man. And before I closed, I saw he and his wife step out and receive the Lord Jesus. And that's the greatest trophy in my ministry this morning, is to see the man that calls me to become an alcoholic to receive Christ as his Lord and his Savior. And that's the greatest trophy that I could ever have, is to see that. At the age of 15, I thought of a man doing this. I considered myself a man at 15 years of age. 
I thought anybody doing this should go into the army. I asked a friend of mine by the name of Eugene, I said, let's go in the army. We forged our parents' name and went in and stayed 11 months, got caught up with and got kicked out. By this time, I'd already developed in my heart a hatred for God. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe this Bible. I hated Christians. I hated preachers. I hated anything pertaining to Christianity. At the age of 16, sin had already had such a grip on my life. The thing that touches my heart this morning, if they'd have been somebody, a bus driver, or somebody would have come to my home at 13 years of age, maybe I'd have gotten saved. God have mercy on you that never visit. God have mercy when you stand before God. If somebody to come by, but nobody cared. Nobody cared for my soul. Never had a purse. My mother was a praying mother and loved God, but she didn't know how to win souls. She was reared in a movement where they get all excited and they shout and they scream and they holler, but they let people go to hell. Never taught her how to win souls. Never showed her how to lead her own son to Jesus Christ. My mother wept for me and prayed for me, but didn't know how, didn't have an education. But if she did, she couldn't have shown me because she was reared in a movement where they didn't teach them how to win souls. So we went in the army, and 11 months later, got kicked out. I went back into the environment of the pool hall, but the man that was giving me the alcohol wasn't there anymore. So I was in my system to where I had to have it. And I began breaking and entering stores, and I picked up my first record at the age of 16. Then I was in and out, in and out, and got to where I couldn't get anything. I was going at 16 years of age, going around in the back alleys, looking in garbage cans, drinking anything that was liquid, didn't make any difference. I'd turn it up and drink it. But I'd come home in the wee hour of the morning as a teenage boy. My mother would be in the smokehouse. Papa would manage to kill a hog a year. We'd salt the meat down on the table about five feet off the floor. We were poorer than poor people. Kind of like I heard a fellow say, the 16 O's between the P and the R. That's about how poor we were. I mean, we were poor people. Six children in the family and four of us would sit on an old homemade bench and eat. And as soon as we'd get through eating, we'd take that bench out to the smokehouse and slide it underneath that table. I'd come in in the wee hour of the morning and Mom would be on her knees in that smokehouse. Three or four o'clock in the morning, night after night. And I'd step up on the porch and I could hear Mama praying. God, wherever he's at. Wherever he's at, God save him. And I'd stand at the door and make fun of Mama. And I called her religious nut and a fanatic. And when he's forced to go into the smokehouse and grab her by the hair of the head and tell her to get off her knees, there's no such a thing as a God. But my mother never did quit praying. And I say to you daddies and you mothers this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. There's still hope. Don't make any difference where your son, your daughter may be. God will hear and answer your prayer. Alcohol and dope had a hold on my life. Got so bad it seemed as though no one cared. This went on until the Korean War broke out. By this time, my life was destroyed. I was drafted back in through the reserve. I went to Camp Chaffee, Arkansas, and I met who's now my wife. We began to go together and correspond together. Then I was transferred to Fort Lewis, Washington, the 2nd Division. For the first time in my life that I began to fear death, I had never feared death until this time. I was called a cadreman. I was a field sergeant. I would train recruits and send them various parts of the United States. And I thought for the first time, what if I got sent to Korea? What if I didn't come back? And then it wasn't long until we were put on shipping orders. We were one of the first outfits landed in Korea. My entire outfit was wiped out. I was the only living survivor that came out of 800 men. I was the only living survivor. I came out and, as a hero. I went back to the small town where I was from. Instead of thanking God for sparing my life, I went back and used that as a crutch. I leaned upon it. 
Because every time I'd go into a place, they'd set them up to me because of who I was. And so instead of helping my life, it really helped destroy my life. And so finally, I didn't know what to do. I joined AA. I was a member of AA for four years. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm not against AA, but AA did not deliver me from alcohol. Jesus Christ did. And He is the answer to alcohol, dope, whatever it may be. He's the answer. AA did not deliver me. Jesus Christ did. And I thought maybe I didn't know what to do. seemed as though that sin was getting a a greater grip on my life day by day. And I needed help. And I, I thought if I had somebody to help me, but nobody cared, then I thought maybe if I would get married, maybe this would help me. And I, my wife and I just celebrated our 25th anniversary. We're closer than we've ever been. We're a close-knit family. I wrestled with the Lord for some eight or nine years about evangelistic work because I didn't want to be separated from my family. My wife for 25 years and I, and I say this this morning with a heart that's been broken many times, I married my wife when I did not love her. I married her because I needed a crutch. And so I called and asked her if she would marry me, and she said she would. And I went back to Rogers, Arkansas to get married. And her father checked on me, and he found out that I'd been in jail in Springdale and Fedville and Fort Smith and a lot of these other towns in Arkansas that I'd had a record. And he told his daughter, said, you're marrying a no-good drunken bum and a dope addict, he's good for nothing. And he was telling the truth. And she said, I can't marry you. I can't marry a man like that. And I said, listen, I can quit. I can straighten up. If you'll marry me, I'll promise you I'll never do it again. I can drink it or leave it alone. I can do it or not do it. I got news for you. Anybody tell me they can drink it or leave it alone, I can't buy that. If you can, then leave it alone. Hog won't drink it. I don't know of a family been put together through alcohol, but I know a lot of them been destroyed because of it. Anybody drink that stuff, I put them in the category of a pig. That's right. That's where I was in the hog pen. You tell me you can drink it or leave it alone, then turn it loose. Amen. Amen. That don't belong to you. That belongs to the devil. Let him have it. Now, I promised her I could, and she said, all right, we'll get married. We got married two or three blocks from her home, and their mother and dad wouldn't even come out to the wedding. I hired a couple off the street to stand up with us. We got married and headed back to the little town where I was from. Within a few days, my wife began to live in fear. With just two or three days already, her life had been threatened. She already knew that she was mixed with the wrong man, but she was afraid to break loose and run. And after a few weeks of marriage, I tried for the first time to take my wife's life. I was sent up for that and spent a few months in the penitentiary. And you'd think something like this would straighten you up. My wife was afraid to get a divorce, afraid of what I might do when I'd get out. She was afraid I'd kill her. And so she didn't get a divorce. And when I got out, I told her, I said, listen, let's move. Maybe if I would go to a new place, to a big city, if I'd go where nobody knows me, where the law don't know me, and I can start all over again and turn over a brand new leaf, I believe this is the answer to my life. I believe the answer is get in a new city where nobody knows me. But I got news for you this morning. Don't make it interest who you are. You go to the north, the south, the east, or the west, and you'll see it to be that. All I was doing was running from my sin. We packed up what little bit we had and moved to Flint, Michigan. I didn't know a soul in Flint, Michigan. We got an apartment. I kept it a few days and lost it. I got a job and lost it. Apartment and lost it. Job and lost it. Then I finally got a job in the Buick factory. I was making good money in the Buick factory 21 years ago. I mean, it was good money, but every dime I made was spent on sin. Then I would get an apartment, and then I'd lose it, and another one lose it. They run ads in the paper in a city of 250,000. I couldn't get a place to live. They run ads in the paper because I'd torn up so many apartments. They run ads in the paper and said, be sure and get a reference when you rent an apartment. So when I'd go to get an apartment, they'd say, do you have a reference? I didn't have a reference. I didn't have anybody would recommend me. 
If you'd ask my brothers and sisters, do you have a brother named Carl Hatch? They'd have said no. They denied having me as their brother. But my mother and father stayed with me. And my mother prayed for me. Never gave up. And I'll tell you right now, mother, stick with you when everybody else will turn their back on you. A mama will stand. Amen. And I couldn't get a place for my wife and Dark was coming upon us, and she said, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. We have no place to go. I broke into the Salvation Army store and stole some Army blankets, and I said, we'll find somewhere tonight. And Dark was already on us, and I was walking through the alley, she and I, and I spotted some old cars, and I said, we'll stay there tonight. Cold in Flint, Michigan. I put my wife in that old junk car that night, we got up the next morning, and I gave her a route to walk. And my wife knew every day to walk that route. If she didn't, I'd kill her. Now, I'd tell her, you go to the bus station, rest a while, and you make that round again until I get out of work, and we'll walk together. We did this for three days. On the fourth morning, my wife started to get out of the car. And she was crying, and she said, is this all I have to live for? And I said, this is it. And she said, I'm going to sue you for divorce. And I said, if you do, I'll kill you. And she said, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead is live in hell here on earth. And I fell on my knees, and I begged her and pleaded with her. I said, listen, I said, if you leave me, I've lost everything. I said... I need help. Don't leave me. She said, I can't go on. I'm suing for divorce. So you kill me, it's all over. I said, listen, why don't you do this? Go ahead and, and file for divorce. And stay with me. In six months, I'll have it licked. In six months, my life will be different. If you'll go ahead and file for divorce. And let's go ahead and try to make it. And she said, all right. My wife filed for divorce. We stayed together and tried to work it out. And I know that God had to be, this had to be a miracle from God. I had no reference. I hated preachers. I hated churches. But I want to show you how God was getting me ready to get saved, and I didn't know it. You may be here this morning. You may think you're tough, but you don't come too tough for God. I got news for you. I like these fellows like to cuss you out and pull a knife on you and a gun. That's the kind I like to talk to. I'd rather talk to them as Sunday school boys. You think you're tough, you're not too tough for God. Amen. He knows how to bring you to your knees. Amen. I thought I was tough. I'd had the black belt in judo the last time in the army of smart aleck. I really thought I was somebody special and God was getting me ready to get saved. And I didn't know it. I told my wife, I'll buy you a house. I went to household finance and borrowed $500. Had to be a miracle from God. I didn't have a reference, didn't even ask for a reference. I got $500. I went and bought a little home on James Street. I mean, wasn't big enough. The bedroom wasn't big enough to have a chest, just a bed. That's all. Real small rooms. They're writing my life story now, Brother Kenny McComas that wrote B.R. Lakins and others. He's in the process of writing my life story, and I'll have the picture of that little house where I was saved. And little bitty rooms, wasn't big as anything. I moved my wife in there and... Bought some used furniture Goodwill and took some orange crate boxes and apple crate boxes and made end tables and coffee tables and moved my wife in there. I told her, I said, I'm going to redecorate the place for you. I'll paint it and fix it up. I went and bought a gallon of paint and I bought a ladder and a fifth of whiskey. And I came back and walked in the living room and I was rolling the paint on. I had the ladder and the paint was here and the alcohol here and I was rolling the paint on. Somebody knocked on the door. I said, come in. A man came in. He said, I'm your neighbor. Good to have you as my neighbor. And I said, thank you. I'd like to help you decorate the place. Well, I said, get up on the ladder. Start painting. I was using some bad words, and I took everything off, the alcohol, and spread some newspapers on the floor. I noticed he had a hard time getting up the ladder. I discovered he had an artificial foot. While he was getting up the ladder, he got up and was rolling the paint on, and he's in a lot of my meetings sometimes. We fly him in, and he sings. You ought to hear him sing. He's got a beautiful voice. 
and he goes with sometimes when I'm in the Michigan area now, he always comes in and sings for me. I noticed him going up the ladder with an artificial foot. And while he was rolling the paint on, he said, it's good to have you as my neighbor. I said, thank you. He said, I'm a Baptist preacher. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, I'm a Baptist preacher. And I said, come down off of the ladder. He came down off the ladder, and I said, you hit the door. And don't you ever, don't you ever put your foot on my property again. If you do, I'll kill you. And he knew I'd kill him. He knew I'd kill him. And he walked out the door, and he said something that tore me in a million pieces. When he walked out the door, he said, Carl, I'm going to be praying for you, boy. And I want you to know that I love you. And boy, when he said, I love you, I mean, it tore me in a million pieces. I'd never had anybody to tell me they loved me, except my mother and my wife. But here's a total stranger. And when he walked out, he said, I love you, boy. Man, it's like a knife taking, cutting my heart out. And I thought, you mean he loves me? You mean as sad and rotten as I am, he loves me? I got news. Don't ever tell anybody you love them unless you mean it. Because they know whether you love them or not. They know whether you're a phony or not. You can fool some people sometimes, but you can't fool all people all the time. And I knew that man loved me, but he couldn't understand why. Why would he love me, a drunkard, a dope addict, and a sorry, no good, hell-deserving sinner, and he loved me? But he did. Every day he wouldn't step on my property, but he'd pull in the driveway same time I would. I sometimes wonder if he's parked down there and watch me. Every day when I'd pull in my driveway and he'd say, Hello, Carl. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I'd say, Shut up. I'd call him every name in the book. And every day when I'd pull in, he'd say, Hello, Carl. I love you. I'm praying for you. Wouldn't get on my property. But he'd stand right at the edge of it. And I mean, every day they had their midweek service. He wasn't the pastor, but the church he went to. They had the midweek service on Thursday night. And every Thursday, you and Ruby go to church with us tonight. Shut! Not going to church with you? Never! But every Thursday, every Thursday, he invited me to. I got so sick of being invited to church, and finally I got so under conviction. I didn't know I was under conviction. I just thought I was sick. I was picked up in Chicago and St. Louis, and in the last 11 months before I was saved, all I had to eat was a package of peanuts a day and a fifth of whiskey. And excuse the expression, when I would spit, there'd be meat and blood come out of my body. I didn't have one. I had dozens of doctors said, you won't live, boy. Picked up in different cities, and taken to the hospital and said, the young boy can't live, the young man can't live. Doctors said we couldn't have any children but we have four. I believe God, boy. I believe this book. And I believe God can do anything he wants to do. Amen? Amen. And I got so under conviction, I called my wife and I said, this is Thursday. Meet me at the hamburger place. And for three weeks in a row, I met my wife at the hamburger place. And I said, now, we'll stay here and we'd stay two or three hours until I knew they was going to church. <laughs> then I called and I said, I'm coming home. I pulled in the driveway, and he said, Carl, where in the world have you been? I said, man, you don't ever give up, do you? I said, get off of my back. But he kept coming back with love. Love. And the Bible says love never fails. I'm a living proof of that, that love never fails. He kept coming back with love, and every day, every day, and I got so under conviction, I, I said, I'm going to commit suicide. I thought of suicide. One day coming home, I stopped and bought a fifth of alcohol and I walked in the back door. My wife began crying and she said, why don't you straighten up? Don't you know our home is on the rocks? Why don't you straighten up? 
Aren't you going to ever quit? I said, no. No, I'm going to drink myself to death. And I went in the living room and sat down on the couch, and my wife came in and kindly squatted down in front of me weeping and saying, I wish you'd try to save our home. I wish you'd try to straighten up. And I hit my wife with my hand. She fell back. And in the condition that I was in, I fell down beside her and poured a fifth of whiskey down her body. And she collapsed. And I said, well, I've killed her. And I walked around the living room. It seemed like minutes, but I know it was only seconds. I walked around in there and I thought, I better run. I better run. And I started out the front door and the porch was like this and the steps was leaning. And I started to run. I put my foot on the bottom step and that preacher lifted his hand. And he said, hello, Carl. He said, I'm praying for you. I want you to know I love you, boy. And I walked around on the front porch for seconds, it seemed like minutes. And I said, I'd rather let my wife die. I'd rather let her die as call that preacher. Then I heard my wife groaning to open the front door and I realized she's still alive. And I hollered and I said, Preacher! Preacher! Come in! Let me tell you something. When you get in trouble and you need help, you call God's man. That's who you'll call. He come running over and said, what's wrong? And I sat in the living room, rushed my wife to the hospital. And I know that telling a lie is wrong. My wife did not tell the truth or I'd have gone back. The doctor asked her what happened. She said, I drank too much. They took her back, brought her back home, and you say, did it straighten you up? No. No, it didn't straighten me up. I'd had many things to happen in my life that should have straightened me up, that didn't straighten me up. When I was a teenage boy, my buddy Eugene that went in the army with me, he began flying the plane, and he soon got his solo license, and one day, circling over his girlfriend's house, and she and I were standing there out in the country, Eugene was cutting dados. He and I both were smart alecks, and he was coming down. She began screaming and said, he's not going to make it. Eugene crashed before our eyes, and I went out as far as I could, and he pulled the window back on the plane. It didn't kill him when he crashed. And he saw me standing over there, and he hollered out, Carl, get me out of the plane, get me out. And I looked at him, and I said, die and go to hell. He kept begging and pleading for me to get him out, and I stood there and watched Eugene literally burn before my eyes. Why didn't you get him out? Because I was a no-good, hell-deserving sinner, that's why. Sir, if there ever was a man deserved going to the devil's hell, you're looking at him. But all because of the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm saved this morning. I stood there, I believe God was speaking to me at 13. I believe God spoke to me at 16 when Eugene burned up in the plane. I believe God spoke to me in Korea. I believe God speaking again, and I wouldn't listen to him. Everything was closing in on me. After my wife, after I'd threatened to kill her, did it straighten you up? No. No, it didn't. Just three weeks, and I'm covering the last few months now. Just three weeks before my conversion. Every Thursday night, they'd invite me to church. I'd say no. Three weeks before I was converted in the shop, the last 11 months, I'd take a fifth of whiskey and a dinner pail and a package of peanuts, and that's all I had for 11 months. Never knew what it was to eat a meal. I weighed less than 80 pounds when I was saved. I was guessed to be 65 years of age when I got saved. I was a young man, but guessed to be 65. And even though the uh, miracles of God in my life and my body's burnt, Scars on my body, but yet I'm able to stand here tonight, today, and present the grace of God. Now then, I believe God's getting ready again to speak to me when I listen. I had a man in the shop said, Carl, I'll bet you $50 I could outdrink you. We started on North Saginaw and headed south, below zero weather. Fresh snow was coming down. The big snow was on the ground. 
We got on North Saginaw and headed south and got down to the last bar. Sometime in the wee hour of the morning, I don't know what time it was, all I remember was there in the bar when I went to the phone and I called my wife. And when she answered the phone, I said, I'm coming home to take your life. And she began screaming and hollering and said, why? 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 What have I done? I said, you haven't done anything, but I've committed every sin in the book except murder, and I want to commit murder. You're my prospect. And I walked out of the bar with a broken beer bottle, headed home to take her life. When I started across the street, I stepped down off of the curb, and my feet slipped out from under me. And my head went back and hit the curb and knocked me out. I lay there that night and all the next day, sometime, I don't know what time it was, cars and trucks coming by, throwing that wet ice on my back and on my body. The fresh snow was coming down. That afternoon, late when they found me, they said if they'd have taken me into a business place, I'd have died in seconds. Somebody found me and they called for the ambulance and they came out and picked me up. And all I remember was laying on a table. And I heard one doctor tell another doctor, this young man will never live. Unless we can get the blood circulating in his body, his entire body's froze from his head to his feet. That's all I heard one doctor tell another. And I said, lying on that table, I said, if God lets me live, it'll be for him. They put me in a tank of ice water and tied my head and my feet. And rotated my body for two weeks. They'd take me out and feed me and put me back in, take me out and feed me and put me back in. And after the two weeks was up, they took me back home. They pulled in the driveway in the ambulance and they opened the back door. And who do you think was there? That preacher. I got so sick and tired of him and I was so under conviction anyway. I got to where I was respecting him, calling him Reverend. He'd come over on my property every day and I wouldn't say anything. I'd see him coming. I'd have a cigarette and I'd put it behind me. I don't know how many times the smoke coming over my shoulder and I'd... <coughs> and I'd crumble it up and throw it behind me. I'm talking about the tough guy. The tough guy, but God was getting me ready. Well, they opened the back door of that ambulance and them two eyes hit me right here. And he said, Carl, been praying for you, boy. Love you. Will you go with us? I said, now, wait a minute, Reverend. I just got out of the hospital, man. Get off of my back. I'd already gone back on God. Just like some of you promised God everything when everything's going good. Everything, boy, when God, when you're in a bad shape, you promise God everything. And when it's going good, you forget it. That's the same thing I was doing. On Thursday night... Just three days before the divorce was to be final, the preacher walked over on our property. My wife and I got out of the car, and she's standing here, and I'm standing here, and the preacher here. And he walked over, and he said, Carl, I'm going to ask you and Ruby one more time. I'm going to ask you anymore. This is the last time. I ask you to go to church with us. Boy, I felt like the world closed in on me. I thought now the reverend's given up. Everybody's giving up on me. Now the reverend, now he's giving up. I don't know. I need help. I said, I can't go to church. He said, why not? I said, it'll fall in. He said, if it does, we'll fix it. Just kept coming back with love. My wife, I said, you want to go to church? And she said, let's go. Please, let's go. And I said, okay, reverend, we're going to go with you. My wife is not the emotional type. She's really not. She's very quiet when it comes. She's not emotional. My wife jumped up and said, Thank God! Thank God! My husband's going to church! She shouted before she ever got saved. Some of you ladies never shouted since you've been saved. And she was excited to even go. I said, now wait a minute. He said, ride with us. I had an old car and prayed it wouldn't start. And I said, okay, cold. I said, all right, we'll ride with you. I said, no, wait a minute, I want to give you some orders. Okay. I'm going to sit on the back row. That'd be all right. That'd be all right. Now, I said, when they start that, couldn't think what you call him. He's an invitation. I said, yeah. 
I said, when they start that, I don't want somebody coming over and getting a hold of my arm, or they'll get a handful of knuckles. He said, there won't be anybody bother you. I said, thank you. I went in that night and sat on the back row. My wife stayed out in the vestibule shaking hands, and I was getting mad by the minute. And finally, she came in and sat down, and I said, you finally made it. And she said, yes. Boy, that preacher got up there and tore me from limb to limb before he ever got started preaching. Did you ever go to church where you just knew somebody told him everything? I mean, he began, and he only had one finger. The other three were hid. You couldn't see them like that. And only one person there. I was the only person there. He didn't even look here. He didn't look over here. He just looked right over there at me. And that finger hitting me right here. And I mean, laying it on me. I'd get behind him. It seemed like that finger would just come around and stop and hit me right there. Boy, he was wearing me out. And he said, some of these sorry, rotten, no good husbands that go out and get drunk and beat their wife, God have mercy on you, boy. Hit me right there. I said, see there, that's why you want me over here. I didn't tell him anything. I said, he's laying me out. He's laying me out. I didn't tell him. And then he got on Isaiah 118. And man, he wore me out with that. Coming down that one finger again like that. And he said, come now. Come now. Come now. Didn't think he'd ever get off of that. And let us reason together. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as gold. Boy, I sat there and I said, you mean, does he mean me? Does he mean me? Am I the one he's talking about? I can't buy that. And I stood up to my feet and I said, I can't buy that. Sit back down. But I said my piece. I said my piece. And I said, if he ever gets done, if he ever says amen, I'm getting out of this place. These are not my kind of people. And listen, I know how you feel this morning. You're sitting there. And you're one breath from hell. I know how you feel. I've been where you're at. And I know you can't hardly wait till I get done. But honey, you may as well hang on. I'm going to be here a little bit. Amen. Well, I mean, he kept on, and I was sitting there, and I said, if he ever says amen, I'm getting out of this place. Big snow on the ground, cold, and boy, when he said amen, I said, I'm going out the car. And I shot out there, and I got out to the car, and I went to one door, another door, another door, another door, and he locked every door on the car. <laughs> I couldn't get in. I walked around and around and around and around, and uh, man, I went through two pack cancer sticks, just going around and around and around. And finally, the, the preacher came out and he said, uh, Come here, Carl. Forget it. Come here. Forget it. I want you to meet the pastor. I only had one choice, either freeze to death or meet him. And I said, I'll meet him. And I went in and met him. I said, let's go. He got home, pulled in the driveway, and he said, You and Ruby go in for coffee. I said, You think I'm stupid? You want to hit me with that religion bit again? I'm sick of it. He said, I won't bother you. You want to go in? Yes, let's go in. We got in, my wife sitting here, and I'm hearing the preacher here, and his wife went in to fix coffee. That preacher got on that being saved, being saved, being saved, being saved. I got so sick of hearing being saved, being saved, being saved. And he was talking to my wife. He wasn't talking to me, but I'm sitting right there, and I couldn't turn him off. And he used good wisdom, because if he'd have talked to me, I'd have turned him off. And he kept talking to my wife. And I'm sitting there trying to blot him out, and I couldn't get him out of my mind. And finally, my wife began crying and said, We need the Lord. Our home's on the rocks. Yes, I'd like to be a Christian. And he turned to me, and I was a smart aleck, and he said, How about you, Carl? And I said, Why don't you give her enough for both of us, and you won't have to fool me. And he said, Carl, I wish I could. Oh, listen, I wish I could. But he said, It's a personal matter. It's between you and the Lord, and you have to make the decision. I said, okay, I'll give her a whirl. That's my way of putting it. I'll give her a whirl. We got out on our knees, and my wife made a heart confession, and I made a head confession. As soon as we got through, I said, let's go. We got over the house and walked in the front door. My wife turned around, threw her arms around me, and said, thank God. Thank God, a home is going to be spent. 
I went to the refrigerator and got a bottle and came in and sat down on the couch. My wife began crying and she said, I thought you, I thought you got saved. I thought you got saved. I said, no, I didn't get saved. I said, that preacher thinks I got saved. And if you tell him any different, I'll kill you. I can tell you right now, you may fool your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, the church, or the preacher, but you won't fool God. He knows whether you're his or not, I'll tell you for sure. Boy, I tell you, my wife began crying. And she said, oh, get saved. I heard her in the kitchen. I heard her in there crying and praying. She went to every room, and finally she came down and knelt down in front of me. The tears running down her cheeks, and she said, please, 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 please get saved. And I knew she had something. I said, listen, go in the bathroom and pray for me. I've never asked anybody to pray for me. My wife went in the bathroom, and I heard her praying like a pro. I heard her in there weeping, praying, Oh God, oh God, if it means taking my life to save my husband, God, take my life. I knew she had something I didn't have. I'll tell you why your husband, your wife, and son and daughter are going to hell. You've never been that concerned about them. You came out of formality and wept a tear too. But I'll tell you one thing, I knew she had something. I didn't know how to pray, and I slipped in that little old bedroom. I didn't know how to talk to God. But I got on my knees, and I looked up the best I could. And I looked up, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. But I said, if you just say this old boy, God, if you just say, present it. And I come out of that with victory in my soul. I knew I saved from something and to something and from hell to heaven and Satan to Savior. Heaven thrilled out of the little sin. Man, I'll tell you, did you feel it? Yeah, I'd still feel it. You didn't even have to ground me. You didn't have to say, did you mean it? Now, did you mean that? Bless God, I knew I had something. I didn't know how to express it. Just a country boy, I didn't know how to express it. My wife met me in the living room, and her hair's down her face, and I said, honey, I got it. I got religion. I got religion. I said, call the lawyers and cancel the divorce. Listen, when you get saved, it'll put your home together and it'll keep it together, bless God. Man, I was happy. Been happy ever since. Oh, like old country boys said, getting gooder and gooder. <laughs> Woo! Man, I'm glad I'm saved. You don't get excited. You mean I have what I have. Boy, I'm thrilled about my being, being saved. I ain't it gets gooder and gooder. Amen. <laughs> Boy, I told my wife, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'd always carried a fifth of whiskey in the shop. But that morning I went in, and I didn't take my whiskey. Poured everything out. But I'd stole some coffee cups out of Buick. And I said, I'm going to take them back. And I put five of them in my dinner pail, and I was going in the guards. Wait a minute. What you got? Got some coffee cups. He said, open it up. And I opened it up, and he said, what are you doing with those? I said, got religion this morning. Boy, I feel good. And I said, I stole these out of Buick, and I'm bringing them back. You what? I, I said, I, I got religion this morning. And I said, I stole these, and I'm bringing them back. He scratched his head, and he said, man, have you got that kind of religion? He said, keep them. I said, thank you. <laughs> Listen, when you get saved, you'll get honest with God and man. I'm a firm believer when you get saved, you may even start tithing. Amen. Let me say that again. When you get saved, you may even start tithing. There you go, judge it. I'm a fruit inspector. Amen. 
Boy, I was thrilled. I walked up and those fellows around me and he said, Did you bring a jug in? Bring a jug in? I said, Look, but it didn't fail. He looked at it and saw the Where's the jug? I said, Fellas, I got religion. Got religion? Buddy, that feels good. Woo! Feels good. You done what? I got religion. And it feels good. And it went all over the Buick. Carl's a preacher. I just got saved. And I just got saved. <laughs> and everybody, man, they, they fell away. He'd get off the wagon. I'd been on so many times, fall off, and they'd give me two weeks. Longest I ever got was three weeks. Longest I ever gave me. They wasn't hundreds of dollars lost on me. There's thousands. There's men, listen, there was men that bet a thousand dollars. I'd fall off the wagon in three weeks. There was thousands of dollars lost on me. I was considered the roughest character in Buick when it come to drinking and gambling and cussing God and uh, hating God. I was claimed to carry that record. They said, oh, he's done this before. He's on another deal. He'll fall off. But after a few weeks, they could see I had something. One fellow never smoked after I got saved. Began to blow it in the face. I'd been bring the alcohol and pour it on my job. They knew I had something. Then they said, how did you get uh, religion, Kyle? Oh, couldn't show them. I went home and I said, honey, uh, that bunch is asking me how I got religion, and I don't know what to tell them. i got to find that verse that Reverend read. And I didn't call it Romans, I called it Rome. It's in Rome, 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 Rome. Here it is in Rome, 1013. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, I got a big old piece of cardboard. It was that long and I carried a family Bible. I didn't have any wisdom or tact. And I put that in my family Bible. It stuck out on both ends and I carried it in the shop that morning. And I said, <laughs> I said come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Now listen to me. I had 250 people saved on one verse in the Bible. 78 of them alcoholics and 26 of them today. Our pastoring churches. Don't tell me you have to be a theologian to be a soul winner. Yes. God, I want more people before I learn anything. Yeah. Took me 10 years to unlearn what I learned before I could get back into business of soul winning. Man, I was thrilled. I began holding meetings downstairs, had a room seat, 25, then 75, then 125, then 350. I had, oh, 350 men coming down every day to hear what you're hearing this morning. Every day. I went to the foreman. I said, got to have another room. What are you doing? I don't know. Come here. Took me downstairs and here's your room. Clean all this material. All the stock, everyone in stock will see you. Here's a room seat of thousand. It's yours. What are you doing? Uh, what are you doing about? Uh, you mean pulpit? I don't have any. This never happened to General Motors. It's never happened since. I was the man introduced prayer and Bible reading in General Motors. Never happened since. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "You mean pulpit? I don't have one." He said, "General Motors is going to make you a pulpit." General Motors made me a pulpit. Put swinging doors on it. And even put a reverend back. I was reverend before I was reverend. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he said, what are you doing about seats? I said, you see that pile of cardboard boxes over there? Every day over 350 men come and get a, one of those boxes and spread it on the concrete and sit there for 30 minutes on hard concrete and listen to what the, the, the amazing grace of God's done for me. He said, General Moore's going to make you some benches. General Moore's made me some benches. He said, what are you doing about songbooks? I said, no have any. I get in there and about 350 men, and I stand back here in the shower, and the shower had been turned on me many times while I'm preaching. I'd stand underneath the shower, and these men sat out here, and I'd say, all right, let's all stand together now and sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rich like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I'd get up there, and I'd say, listen, you remember when I used to do this? You remember, you remember when I used to be in the county jail? You remember when I was in the city jail? You remember this? Hey, hey, George, you remember this? Hey, listen, fellas, you remember when this happened to me? But listen, fellas, I got religion. And boy, I feel good. Come on. Come on down here. Come on down here and get one. Man, it's wonderful. Come on down here. 
I didn't see one. I didn't see two, but I saw hundreds. I saw hundreds of great big men that if I shoot a drop of a hat, come running down that aisle and say, Oh, God, give me what courage has got. Hundreds of them. When God's blessing, the devil gets mad. They wrote up a grievance to kick me out of Buick. I was too religious. Too religious. Men run bad jobs and accuse me. Transmissions two or three a day. Hundreds and thousands of dollars and man hours. General Foreman called me in and said, Carl, there's been a grievous road against you to put you out of Buick. Now you can quit passing out your literature. You can quit your religious singing. And then your prayers and keep your job. I said, I want to tell you something. General Motors didn't die for me. And I'll guarantee you I'm not going to quit passing out tracks. And I'm not going to quit talking about my Lord because he saved me. I ain't going to quit. Aren't you going down tomorrow morning to face Mr. Curtis, the president of General Motors, and all the board members be put out of Buick? I went all over the Buick factory. I didn't say you a Baptist or a Methodist or anything else. You say be there at nine. 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 I had hundreds said I'll be there. Next morning I walked up to face Mr. Curtis, the president of General Motors. I had 16 sitting there. I'll tell you, it's easy to live for God in the pew on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. But get out in combat and see how long you last out there. Easy to sing, oh, how I love Jesus on Sunday, but on Monday's the testing. I walked into the president of General Motors. After they got through discussing what they was going to do, TV cameras over here and radio and newspapers, my life story had never been written up nationwide. Since that time, it's been nationwide many, 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 many times. But I was sitting there waiting to hear what they was going to do. TV, radio, newspaper, waiting, catching to see what's going to happen. It's never happened in the history of General Motors. never happened before or since. And finally, Mr. Curtis said, Mr. Hatch, we decided to put you out of General Motors for two years. Boy, I mean, the TV's flashed, the radio, newspapers went all across the country. Your newspaper carried all the other newspapers across the nation, even the foreign countries. Said, one man! One man disturbing General Motors. It wasn't one man. It was God. Amen. I'll tell you, we need more like that. Amen. Finally, Mr. Curtis said, you got anything to say? And I say to you in closing this morning what I said to the president of General Motors, all the board members. Mr. Hatch, you want to say anything? I said, yes to Mr. President and board members. I want to say to each one of you that are seated here today, the same Jesus died for me, died for you. And the same Lord that was bad for me was bad for you. And the same Lord that arose for me arose for you. And the same Lord that saved me, he wants to save you. And I say to you this morning, daddy, mama, teenager, whoever you are on the main floor, in the balcony, wherever you are, the same Lord that died for me died for you. Same Lord that was buried for me was buried for you. The same Lord that arose for me arose for you. Amen. And the same Lord that saved me, He wants to save you, Daddy. He wants to save you, Mama. He wants to save you, teenager. He wants to save you. Amen. I'm not willing that any should perish. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise. Cast out, John 6, 36 and 37. All whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're here this morning without Him. He wants to save you. If you're a backslider, He wants you to come home. He's longing for you to come. No way you can explain it. It's like that mother, the old San Francis River back home where I'm from. She was drowning. Her seven-year-old daughter reaching out far and the mother screaming and hollering to go back. Go back! The mother's drowning. Go back. 
The second time that mother started on a little seven-year-old girl reaching out, Mama, I want to save you. Go back! Your mama's drowning! Go back! That mother started under the third and final time. And that little seven-year-old girl reaching out, Mommy, I want to save you. I want to save you, Mommy. And that mother screaming at the top of her voice, Go back! Go back! Your mama's drowned! She went under the third and final time. A few days later, the daddy took the little girl to the funeral home, lifted her up to look in the face of her mommy, little tears running down her little cheeks. And she said, Mommy, I wanted to save you, but you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. He wants to save you, but you'll have to let him. We pray you have been blessed by the message you've just heard. The Sword of the Lord has many helpful materials available for purchase. For a free catalog, please call 1-800-251-4100 or you may reach us on the web at swordofthelord.com. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.